Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the Church gives us on this second Sunday of Advent the opening lines of the first gospel. St. Mark, who was, tradition says, the secretary and translator for St. Peter, wrote this gospel, they think, around the year 70, which is to say a few years after the deaths of Peter and Paul at the hands of the Roman authorities. He composed it, most likely, in Rome, in the heart of the city that put his friends to death. Now, as is often the case with classical texts, the opening line is very important. You know, serious authors, they put a lot of attention into the first line of their text because it often will encapsulate what they want to say. Well, here's Mark's first line. Listen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We notice first the very opening word. Arche, in Mark's Greek, beginning. John's gospel begins the same way. He says, Enarche en hologos. In the beginning was the word. Both are hearkening back to the first word of the Old Testament. The Hebrew word, Bereshit. That's the word, the word with which the entire Bible commences. In the beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. Mark is telling us that this story he's going to recount is the story of a new creation. See, Jewish listeners, Jewish readers, hearing that first line, they wouldn't miss that. To begin with, arche. What does it mean for us? We sinners know that we live in a fallen world, a place where things are not as they should be, not as God intended. Now, you know, the world's good. It's not a completely fallen, compromised place. But still, amidst the goodness of the world, we realize things aren't what they're supposed to be. There's something off-kilter with creation. We live, as C.S. Lewis put it, in enemy-occupied territory. Mark is signaling something to us In telling the story of Jesus, he's going to tell the story of a recreation, of a restoration, of a bringing the whole world back online. Don't fall into this contemporary trap of seeing Jesus simply as an inspiring ethical teacher. He is that. Ah, but he's so much more. His story recapitulates the story of creation. He's going to make a new world. See, friends, that's what they caught in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what struck them was the world is being remade. 
And so Mark says, Arche, the beginning. It's the beginning of what? Of a euangelion in his Greek, of a gospel. The Greek word means glad tidings. There are two important references here. The first harkens back to the 40th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, from which, by no accident, our first reading is taken. We hear this in that first reading. Listen. Go up on a high mountain, Zion, herald of glad tidings. Cry out at the top of your voice, Jerusalem, herald of good news. What does that mean? What's the frame of reference? The glad tidings have to do here with the return of the Babylonian captives from their exile. I spoke last week about this. This was the great calamity of Jewish history. Israel destroyed, the temple burned down, the people carried away. But now, glad tidings, because God's about to act. God is going to bring the exiles home. He's bringing them back where they belong. You see what Mark is telling us here? The gospel he's writing is the definitive story of the return of exiles to their homeland. It's a story of freedom and of the liberation from sin. It's about the restoration of Jerusalem. Yes, the holy city as the place of right praise. All of this, he's implying, will happen in Jesus. You say, well, okay, what about me? How does it have to do with me? Well, see, we're all lost. We're all exiles. St. Augustine said that we all, we sinners, we all wander in the region of unlikeness. What he means is we're alienated from what we ought to be. We're made in the image and likeness of God, but instead we wander in this region of unlikeness. We walk out of friendship with God. And so all of us sinners to this day feel exiled, lost, not where we are supposed to be. Mark is telling those now with this Jewish mindset who would catch this reference. He's saying, this is a story about your return home. That's what Jesus means. I mentioned two references, though, of the word euangelion. The first is more Jewish. The second is more Roman. I think I told you before, euangelion in Mark's time, Jesus' time, was a term used to announce an imperial victory. When the emperor won a battle, messengers were sent ahead, angeloi, angels, messengers were sent ahead, with euangelion, with good news. Mark has the audacity to announce from the belly of the beast, from the heart of Rome, the capital of this great empire, that a real imperial victory has indeed been won, but it hasn't a thing to do with Caesar. It has to do with this Christ who has won the victory over sin and over death. The story of the gospel is a story of a victory. For those of us who feel defeated, exiled, 
That's why it's a liberating story. Now we continue. This is a gospel about whom? About Jesus Christ. Jesus Christos. That's what Mark says. Simply his Greek version of Yeshua, Mashiach. Jesus, the anointed one. There was, as you know, in the first century, an intense anticipation among Jews of the coming of the Mashiach. The one who, like David and Solomon, would be an anointed king, who would deal effectively with the enemies of Israel, who would gather the scattered tribes, cleanse the defiled temple, and reign as king of the nations. The Mashiach would restore Israel to its rightful place at the center of the world, the teacher of all the nations in the way of the Lord. He would be a new Moses who would lead his people from slavery to freedom, bring them back to the promised land. Mark is saying now in this little code, Jesus Christos, Yeshua Mashiach, he's telling his readers this figure has arrived. This new Moses, this new David, this new Solomon, this gatherer of Israel, this Lord of the nations has arrived. Again, it has a lot to do with us. Most of us sinners feel enslaved. We feel imprisoned. We feel caught in chains. We might be enslaved by our addictions, by our fears, by our self-absorption, by our deep frustrations, by our sense that nothing goes right. Mark is telling us, I've got a story of liberation for you. The Mashiach of Israel has arrived, and he has to do with everybody. I'm still reading just the opening line of the gospel. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he adds, the Son of God. Among the Romans, this was an imperial title. Caesar was the huios tuteu. That's, that's Mark's Greek. He was the Son of God. Think of the way, just after his death, that they deified Julius Caesar. Even in his lifetime, they deified Augustus, they deified Tiberius, Caligula, the rest of them. Mark is making the very edgy observation that the real Son of God is not Caesar, but rather the one whom Caesar put to death and the one whom God raised from the dead. Do you see how edgy that is? See how, how provocative that language is. And again, you see why so many of the first Christians ended up in prison, why many of them fled for their lives. Their audience understood how provocative and challenging this language was. No, I've got the news of the real imperial victory and of the real Son of God, and it's not Caesar. Now, listen, for our sake, nor any of Caesar's descendants and successors. You know, most of us feel frustrated because the powers of the world seem to hold sway. I mean, just look back at the last century, the terrible 20th century, the worst on, on record, the dominance of evil. Look at September 11th, you know, most recently. It appears as though the forces of evil are constantly on the march, constantly threatening the stability of things. It looks as though that no matter what we do, the powers of darkness seem to hold sway. Mark is saying, the story I'm going to tell you about this Wi'os Tuta'u, the Son of God, is the story of a revolution. 
turning upside down of our expectations. Now, do you see why the church has given us this opening of Mark's gospel for our Advent meditation? Advent is meant to prepare us for the coming of Christ. But see, here's the basic spiritual problem. We won't be able to appreciate Jesus unless and until we know how much we need him. Let me say that again. I think it's very important. We won't appreciate Jesus' arrival unless we feel in our bones how much we need him. If I'm okay and you're okay, our culture teaches that in a million ways. But if that's true, then we don't need a Savior. There's that line from the great Advent hymn. I like to to draw it to your attention because we don't think about it enough, what it means. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. There's a lot in that line, isn't there? That's a voice of great longing, the yearning of the heart. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It means God with us. And ransom captive Israel. Mark is writing his gospel for people who feel exiled, captive, alone, defeated, afraid. We have to know how compromised, how exiled, how enslaved, how frustrated we are precisely in our sin. And then we begin to feel in our bones this longing for the coming of the Wi'os Tutheu, of the Son of God, of the Mashiach, of the Anointed One, then we begin to feel the power of this Ewangelion, of this good news. Then, then, we're ready for the coming of Christ. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.